This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Throughout the night, you can see on the video him coming to the glass door, knocking and saying, please help me. I need to go to the hospital. I'm having a difficulty breathing. And he's screaming at one point. He's saying, I can't breathe. It's August 20th, 2020, and community members, selected officials, and community organizers are gathered together in Marietta, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Many of them are holding signs reading, Justice for Cavill Wingo, whose family members are among the crowd. You know, to put a face to this uh, delayed justice, you know, I want to introduce the the Wingo family, especially his three young children, um, Kiera, Erica, and Cavill, uh, his sister Tiffany. This is the face of the justice that's been denied, who are still requesting justice after 12, almost 12 months. In the background of this scene, behind the small group gathered together in a parking lot, is the Cobb County Jail. It's this jail where Cavill Wingo was taken just over a year earlier, in September of 2019, after being arrested on a drug charge. It's this jail where he would start to experience severe abdominal pain, where he would tell anyone who would listen that he couldn't breathe. It's this jail where after hours and hours of pleading for help, the 36-year-old would take his last breath. All I want is justice for my brother, and I want everybody to be charged in the death of his murder. Like, he didn't have to die like it. Like, they just left him, dumped him off like he was an animal. We want justice for our dad because it wasn't right how they treated him, and how he consistently asked for help and was denied, and they just let him die. So their arrest was a pretty simple arrest. Um, he's in a parking lot of a hotel. Um, an officer uh, pulls up next to him. They believe he they smell marijuana. They search his car. They don't find any marijuana, but they find like a little, like a few dusts of what they believe might be cocaine. Investigative reporter Andy Parati has been covering Cavill Wingo's story for WXIA 11 Alive in Atlanta. Within a day, they they start noticing he is not well. His inmates are, are complaining that he's sweating profusely, that he's complaining of abdominal and stomach pain. And so early on, as soon as he is put inside this detention center, everyone knows that he's sick, that something is wrong with this guy and he's not faking it. Staff bring Cavill Wingo to the jail's infirmary for detoxification monitoring after he told them he'd used cocaine within the past three days. The reason why he went to the infirmary in the first place is anytime you tell the jail staff that you had used any narcotics during a certain period of time, especially some sort of opioid or cocaine, even if you don't do it, um, it but you say you did it, and some people will want that just so that they won't have to spend time into the general population, they automatically send you to the infirmary to to detox. After Wingo spends three days in the infirmary, deputies return him to the jail's general population. He showed no signs of um, issues then. He showed no signs of like going through severe detox, and then they release him back out. And then 
within, I think, 24 hours of releasing him, that's when he starts having the severe abdominal pain. Fellow inmates, deputies, and some medical staff quickly notice that something is going on with this guy, that he appears ill. One of the deputies, Matthew Howard, calls the infirmary and speaks to the nurse in charge, Yvette Burton. Infirmary, Yvette, speak him and help you. We have a guy named Wingo Cavell. He has been throwing up for a while now, since we came on shift. You've seen it? Yes, ma'am, I've seen him throwing up. Shortly after, they receive another call about Wingo, this time from a nurse in charge of administering pills, Natalie Chance. He's like laying on the floor screaming. He's sweating. He says he's got ab- uh, abdominal pain. Like, he can't fake this. Here's this same nurse in a later internal affairs interview. Maybe there was something wrong with him because like the sweats and stuff is just like something you can't, you know, right. can't fake. And just kind of how, you know, his eyes. He wasn't a cool, but he was just uncomfortable. Okay. So I called my charge nurse and let her know that like he was, he was this patient that I was going to be sending down and just kind of what he had going on. According to Nurse Chance, Wingo told her that he wasn't just detoxing, that he actually knew what was wrong with him. Was he able to talk to you? He was. He had a whole conversation, and he just kept saying, like, his ulcer, his, like, ulcer, so I guess maybe he had GI issues before. Okay, so he kept referring to an ulcer. Like, did he say this was a uh, prior medical history? I only guess it was because he knew exactly, okay. you know, kind of what it was. So it's not something he just came, it wasn't something that we would have diagnosed in here yet. It didn't say like he went out to the hospital already in his charts. So my take was it was something that he had dealt with before because he just kind of knew exactly my ulcers. So, so as soon as you went in there to check on him, that's when he said that? That's when he said that. Okay, ulcers. so immediately... That was his complaint. Okay, his that, was his, that was his original complaint. His original was, his ulcers. was his ulcers. Okay. Multiple of his fellow inmates also say they heard Wingo complain about an ulcer, which is a painful sore that can develop in the intestines or the stomach. Investigators would later interview around a dozen inmates detained with Wingo, and all but one believed he was truly in pain. So they bring him to the infirmary room just before midnight on September 29th, 2019. Video from the jail shows Wingo being transferred in a wheelchair. He's hunched over and wincing in pain. And on the way there, he's telling a deputy, I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm dying. And the deputy's going, no, no, no. We got you, we got you. When Wingo arrives at the infirmary, his vital signs don't show any red flags, but his condition seems to be getting worse as the night goes on. And for the next seven hours, Wingo begs to be taken to the hospital through the glass door of his infirmary cell. Throughout the night, you can see on the video him coming to the glass door, knocking and saying, please help me. Um, I need to go to the hospital. Uh, I'm having a difficulty breathing. He's screaming at one point. He's saying, I can't breathe. At one point, one of the deputies opens the door and says, what's wrong? He says, I can't breathe. And she says, well, I know you can breathe because you're yelling at me saying you can't breathe. Here's that deputy, Deputy Sheriff Lynn Marshall, in a later interview with Internal Affairs. He said, I need to go to the hospital. I can't breathe. And I, I talked to him for a minute. And I was like, but if you're hollering, you are breathing. I said, what seems to be the problem? I said, is it, you know, and he was just like, I'm like, is it hard to breathe? Is it, you know, I, he couldn't describe. So 
So I told them, um, and I told him, he's saying he's not breathing, he can't breathe, and um, that he needs to go to the hospital. And then they said that's what he wants, he just wants to go to the hospital. In your opinion, you think they thought maybe he was putting on or he wasn't serious or he just wanted to get away from the jail for a minute? He wasn't really in pain? That was my impression. Because, like I said, when it got passed on, that's what everyone was just like, he just wants to go to the hospital. Marshall points out that she knew Wingo had already been discharged from the infirmary once, but figured he was somehow just detoxing again. I think I had even said that he had, it's like he had gotten something up there or he had something that he took or took somebody's meds or something. Because right. He just was, like I said, he was detoxing again, or so it looked, appeared. Okay. I don't know, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> it's now early in the morning on September 29th, and Wingo is still pleading for help from his infirmary cell. And in the same video, you see him collapsing multiple times, falling over on inmates. The inmates at this point are complaining that he can't stand up and that he's falling over. And while all of this is going on, it's not like nobody notices. There's a jail secretary, Tiana Davis, sitting right across from Wingo. So when I was at the computer or whatever, he rang the bell Mm -hmm. and he said that he couldn't breathe. Okay. And so I informed the charge nurse. I'm the secretary, the unit secretary. Right. I informed the charge nurse that he was stating that he was under distress. And the charge nurse is Annalene Visser. Okay. It would be up to that charge nurse, Annalene Visser, to decide whether or not Cavill Wingo should be taken to the hospital. And she just said, uh, he's okay. He's okay. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to watch him and see what he does or whatever. Right. And I watched him. He sat down. And uh, he lay down for about maybe a minute or so. And then I was like, so I couldn't tell because he, he had the covers over. Mm-hmm. And then after that minute was up, he jumped up and he started beating on the w- window, saying that he could not breathe. And I kept saying, Annalie, he needs help, he needs help. And then uh, the tech also said, you know, pop the door, let's just go to his vitals or whatever. He's okay. He's just, uh, his oxygen level was such and such. Do you remember what tech that was? That was Tiffany. Tiffany Womack, the lab tech Davis refers to, would also recall hearing Wingo's pleas for help that morning. I was talking to the secretary. He was asking for help. He was standing at the glass um, repeatedly asking for help and that he could not breathe. Yeah. Womack says she and Davis both asked the charge nurse if they could do something to help this man. She said no. Um, didn't even make eye contact. She just kept looking forward. Sometimes with, and she said he's an opiate detox or whatever she said he was. Yeah. Um, she said a lot of times that they, you know, they do. They can't act funny. Um, right. But sometimes just to fast them, you know, I'm just checking their vitals can kind of yeah. help. And so again, he had actually fell backwards onto the floor and had crawled to the window and was asking again, begging for help and they could not breathe. I mean, I'm been an EMT, but it's been a while. Yeah. Not a nurse, but yeah, I really don't think that's a symptom of the opiate detox. So I asked her, I was like, can we please get him out? I said, I'll check his vitals. She gets up from the chair, looks at him. She was like, he was 97%. She was like, he just wants drugs. And I said, well, that was 97% maybe on night shift, but we need to know now. <coughs> yeah. I said, if we just, can we bring him out? I'll check him. She said, no, he just wants drugs. Sit back down. At one point, one of the nursing staff members 
sees him and hears him and goes to the charge nurse and says, hey, I don't think he's well. We need to take him out and take his vitals. I'll do it. And the nurse in charge says, no, 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 no. He's faking it. He's just trying to go to the hospital. The charge nurse, Annalene Visser, would later tell sheriff's investigators that she doesn't take an inmate's vitals if that inmate is acting out, and that Wingo had been, in her words, rowdy and loud that morning. He was rowdy, he was loud. Um, explain rowdy. Um, okay, he was loud, he was, um, I don't know what he was saying, he was just disruptive, loud and shouting and um, I couldn't remember exactly what he was saying. Well, according to her and her interviews with investigators, she said that he was rowdy and that he was loud and that she doesn't take vitals from people that are loud, loud and rowdy. Well, the video doesn't show that he's rowdy. In fact, even the sheriff investigator tells the nurse, I watched this video and he wasn't rowdy at all. I have seen the video and I didn't see the disruptive part. So, oh. um, yeah, um, just to be honest. Oh. So, um, in the video, there are people that we can see that are employees that they're concerned about him in the room sure. and they stated that he fell over in the room. No. No, he no. didn't fall at all. Well, I didn't see that. And he never told me he fell. Neither did the other inmates say that he fell. Visser also says repeatedly that nobody ever told her Wingo was saying he couldn't breathe. Was anybody saying anything to you? Did you hear him over the intercom say he couldn't breathe? Did any other nurses advise you of this? No. Nobody no. said anything to you while you were sitting at the desk? No. 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 He was rowdy and he was loud. Okay. He was ready but, and he was yeah, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, he didn't say the nurses, but, but the nurses that were in the infirmary, assigned out to the infirmary, nurses, techs, whatever they were, did any of those say what to me? Yes, to you that he needed to be checked because he could not no. breathe. You, no. you don't recall no, that? No, I don't recall that. No, not at all. No. But other staff members who were there do remember that. They remember telling Visser directly about Wingo's complaints. I informed the charge nurse that he stated that he was under distress. And the charge nurse is okay. I told the nurses, he's saying he can't breathe. And they said he was detoxing, he's fine. He just wants to go to the hospital. So at this point, I mean, I already asked him how many times. She's the charge nurse. I know Annalene said he just wants to go to the hospital. And Annalene, just for clarity, that's Nurse Visser? Visser, yes. Charge sir. nurse, right? Correct. Okay, so she's kind of the one who runs things when the doctor's not there. She's the charge nurse. Correct. Okay. And she just said, uh, he's okay. You're telling me that no one made a comment to you about him not being able to breathe? No, I promise you. Nobody. Instead of getting Wingo to a hospital, Visser decides to put him in a padded isolation cell, a type of cell usually reserved for inmates who harm themselves or are suicidal. But clearly, that's not the reason Wingo is sent there. The charged nurse got so annoyed with this man begging for help that instead of taking him to the hospital, they put him in a padded room so she couldn't hear him complain anymore that he was dying. So Deputy Sheriff Lynn Marshall, the same deputy who earlier told Wingo that if he could holler, he could breathe, makes a call to see if they have an open isolation cell. 
Just like the charge nurse, she's still not taking any of his complaints seriously. Hi, do you have a pad open? I got an idiot over here playing games. He's trying to get to the hospital, so he's just playing around. When the deputy opens the door to Wingo's infirmary cell to transfer him, he collapses. And it takes nine minutes for staff to pick him up off the ground. Then on the way to the padded cell, he collapses again. And they have to put him in a wheelchair the rest of the way. When they get to the padded room, they open it up and they essentially just dump him on the floor. They take off his clothes. And what they normally do is put on one of these smocks um, so you you don't hurt yourself. He was so out of it. They stripped him naked and then they just put the smock on top of him. It's 7.48 a.m. when jail staff place Wingo inside the padded room, strip him of his clothes and shut the door, leaving behind two cups of water. Jail policy requires staff to physically look inside isolation rooms every 15 minutes. But according to jail video, that doesn't happen with Wingo. The deputy assigned to monitor his cell walks past the window two different times without looking inside. When the deputy finally does check on him, nearly an hour after he was placed in the cell, Wingo isn't breathing, and his skin is cold to the touch. A half hour later, he's transferred to a nearby hospital, and a doctor pronounces Cavill Wingo dead at 9.51 a.m. His cause of death? Complications related to an ulcer. Exactly what he told jail staff had been bothering him. It was a perforated ulcer. So if you're not familiar with the ulcer, it's essentially a hole in your stomach or your um, intestines. And the reason why that is so incredibly serious is that if it leaks bile into your bloodstream, it, it, you, you, it becomes deadly. So you, your, your blood becomes toxic. And so that's what was happening to him. And I've heard, I've heard that it's incredibly painful when this happens. When there's a tear in your stomach lining and bile is leaking into your bloodstream, it's a slow, painful death. You don't even know that you're toxic at some point because you're just delirious. And so if you watch some of the video, he, he can't even stand. And this is a tall, big man. This isn't a fragile man. So for for him to be collapsing as, as much as he did and to... Um, stand up for as long as he had, you know that he must have been just fighting for his life, you know? For seven hours, Wingo pleaded for help in the Cobb County Jail Infirmary. He said he was in pain, that he had an ulcer, and that he couldn't breathe. But the people whose help he needed the most, they just didn't believe him. Behind the scenes, I've called this series Believe Them. It's people come complaining about medical emergencies and then what you would think would be an expert that would be able to recognize it or at least show empathy um, showed the exact opposite. And it, so to me, it's about believing them when they say they're sick, believe them. And so oftentimes I, I imagine when you work in a facility like this, you're probably going to have situations where people are faking it. And you become jaded, um, maybe. But, you know, we showed this same video to a nursing expert who's been the supervisor of prison infirmaries and jail infirmaries for 20 years. And she looked at this video and the medical file and she said, there's no way in hell that any of these nurses 
would have been employed after I watched these videos. They failed this guy. She, she said it was one of the most horrific things that she's ever seen. And she's worked in jail infirmaries for 20 years. That's got to be telling to the sort of negligence that these individuals um, are accused of, at least by the family. Cavill Wingo died in September of 2019, but the 36-year-old's life isn't defined by his death or by his final moments in the Cobb County Jail. Cavill Wingo was someone friends would describe as a car nut who liked old Chevys and a family man who made a point to be at every function involving his three kids. I think he was the type of father that just loved to be present in his children's lives. He had three children, one named after him, the, the youngest child, uh, uh, Cabell Jr. And he loved and was so proud of his daughter graduating from high school. He had, he had planned to teach her how to drive because she, she didn't know how to drive and he loved driving and he was so looking forward to, to doing that. He just, he just loved being present. It, it, according to the family, if, if you asked him to be somewhere and it involved his children, he was going to be there. And his family is just devastated because um, they, they're never going to be able to get that. In June of 2020, the Cobb County Sheriff's Office completed an internal investigation into Wingo's death. They found that no one did anything wrong. They found no criminal negligence. They found no internal affairs uh, policies violated. Following Eleven Alive's investigation, the company that staffed and operated the jail's infirmary, Wellstar Health System, said its staff failed Cavill Wingo. According to Wellstar's website, they no longer provide services at the Cobb County Jail, and the team members working in the jail that night are no longer employed by the company. The Wingo family's attorney has said he believes what happened was a crime. The Wingo family has called for an outside investigation into Wingo's death. They don't want the only investigation into this death to be conducted by the sheriff's office itself. And they're not alone. This brings us back to that parking lot outside the jail this past August. A group rallying outside Cobb County Detention Center today demanding justice for a man who died in custody. They want the district attorney's office to launch a criminal investigation now into Kevil Wingle's death. Everyone ignored his cries for pain. That has to stop. We all saw the video. I don't think anybody thinks that video is acceptable. It is absolutely unfathomable that these individuals have not been charged with crimes. To this day, nobody is facing criminal charges related to the in-custody death of Cavill Wingo. And the Cobb County Sheriff's Office maintains that no jail policies were violated, that nobody did anything wrong. As of October 2020, 217 people have died in just four metro Atlanta County jails since 2004. Only one of those deaths was investigated by an outside state agency. The district attorney's office has requested the U.S. attorney's office to launch an investigation into recent jail deaths. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation is currently conducting an administrative review of how the county handled the original investigation into Mr. Wingo. The two nurses were put on administrative leave and a state lawmaker is promising to file legislation next early next year that would require independent investigations. Basically, sheriff's offices right now investigate themselves. The community does not want that to happen. 
they've been wanting an independent investigation for years about this facility. But I think the tipping point for them was this Wingo case, because this was the first time that someone had decided to look, uh, do a deep dive into one of these inmate deaths. Um, and I think after that story aired, it, become, it became abundantly clear for them that something bigger needs to happen. Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners, I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm here with Reed Redman and Will Johnson. You know, Reed, uh, this story is so striking and timely today because it's, it's a small drug charge turns into this young man's death. And it really is another story of kind of medical malfeasance. I mean, similar to last week's episode um, of, of the nursing home death, this is the story of medical care being denied to someone that is saying there is a problem. I mean, it is just truly tragic. Yeah, and not just saying that there was a problem, but even saying exactly what that problem was uh, and just the people that Cavill Wingo needed to believe him didn't. And that's what we heard uh, Andy Parati, the reporter who's been covering this, say is that behind the scenes, he's been calling this story Believe Them. Um, and one thing that I think we should bring up related to that is that there's a wide body of research showing that there's a racial bias in the way that medical professionals actually assess and treat pain. And this is a podcast, so if you're listening to this, you didn't see the footage we played, but Kivil Wingo is black. And what these studies have shown time after time is that black patients are less likely to be treated for pain than white patients experiencing the exact same problems. I know that these nurses and deputies, they have a tough job, but the lack of compassion that's really shown across the board. Uh, it, I mean, I can't really even imagine the pain and the terror that this young man, you know, must have gone through. It's, it's unbelievable. And the kicker for me is the padded isolation room part of this, right? That, you know, after everything else he's already gone through, they strip him naked and they place him in a padded cell, even though that he is cold and clammy to the touch. And, and then he dies. I mean, it's just, it's unreal. And, you know, I, I have to add, I, I, I guess I can see over time, if you've worked, you know, in, in this kind of setting, a correctional facility, jail or prison, where, you know, you see inmates potentially trying to take advantage of a situation, but it goes back to, again, read what you, you said, Andy Parati is calling this. Um, you know, you just have to kind of believe someone, especially when it seems like it's that obvious. Yeah, and I, I'm sure it's easy to become a little bit jaded in a setting like this. But, I mean, it, it is obviously, as we've seen in this story, life or death, whether or not you believe a patient telling you that they're in pain. And even if you are skeptical, there were ways that, uh, that the staff could have looked into whether or not he was telling the truth. There were people who had seen him throwing up and, and sweating and doing things that you just, you can't fake. All right. Well, thanks to Andy Parati at WXIA in Atlanta for bringing us the stories over the last two weeks. Really uh, uh, an amazing job with both of, both of those stories, investigating them. Uh, next week, I will have a story out of Tennessee. We'll be working with WBIR in Knoxville and a really tough one. It's an adoption story with some truly horrific results. We'll tell you all about it next week. Spencer, where can people go to learn more about us and talk with folks who are listening to the show? Yeah, we have a uh, Facebook group called Inside the Crime Vault where you can discuss this case and other cases like it with like-minded true crime fans. So check us out on Inside the Crime Vault on Facebook. All right. For true Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson along with Reed Redman and Spencer Brudig. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story. 